0: Welcome to the podcast of America This Week, courtesy of the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129. If you wanna to listen to more, subscribe to Sirius XM and tune in on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
1: Welcome back to America This Week. A smart Catholic take on faith and culture. I'm Father Patty Gilger, and I'm joined by Robert David Sullivan and by Ashley McKinless. So we're speaking a little bit about, um, you know, the news and the views from the Catholic world this, this week here at America This Week. And we've just talked a little bit about this movie, Eighth Grade, where we talk about modes of self-formation. We have another piece where we're talking about self-formation that's written by um, Professor Holly Taylor Kuhlman of Rhode Island University. Her piece is titled, Fifty Years After Humanae We Still Be buy into the myth of the self-made man and uh, Holly joins us here welcome to the show Holly
0: thank you so much
1: really grateful that you could be here with us all the way from Rhode Island mm.
0: yeah just a quick, quick quick correction it's Providence College in Rhode Island
1: ah I'm sorry yeah. I'm sorry that's what I meant to say I had all that no prepared problem. thank you Providence <laughs> College in Rhode Island um, yeah. And Holly, can you, um, this is the 50th anniversary of Humanae Vitae. Can you give us a little bit of a baseline for listeners who may not be quite as well-versed in what that is or what it means about uh, where this comes from?
0: Right, I think we're here on the very day of oh. the 50th anniversary of wow. Humanae Vitae, mm-hmm. uh, if, I'm, if I'm correct about that. Um, so, Humanae Vitae, um, an encyclical um, published that... Um, was pl- I mean, the the most immediate thing to say is that it was an encyclical published and plunged almost immediately. In fact, even in a certain sense, prior to its publication, into pitched controversy. Hmm. Um, so, um, the, just a couple of the facts. Um, written by Pope Paul the Sixth, um, 1968. Um, and it deals with, as I mentioned in the, in the essay that I wrote for uh, America, mm-hmm. it, um, certainly what has been most controversial is its fundamental teaching uh, against artificial birth control. Yeah. But my sense of the document is that there are some really interesting, um, more fundamental claims. Uh, certainly the encyclical offers those claims as um, arguments toward that concrete uh, conclusion but th- the claims are more important um, fundamentally, uh, you know, in the end they they affect uh, a wide variety of different concrete practices and scenarios and so I just thought I would take a step back for a moment um, So what,
2: what are those claims? What, what, right What's the vision um, that it sets forth? Right
0: um, Well, maybe I should rephrase it this way I would say that the encyclical asks some questions of us and Mm -hmm. challenges us in ways that push us even more than they did 50 years ago to try to look for answers. So um, the, the concerns that it names are concerns with our interest in controlling ourselves. Now, listen, I'm a parent of four children, so I have said, control yourself. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Hopefully, frequently.
0: Uh, But, you know, and this is not disconnected from the conversation that you were just having about social media. I think we've moved almost imperceptibly to a place where um, control of ourselves is something that is woven into our life and our experience in a way that really is, in my view, new. Mm. Um, and I don't, I don't intend to um, just issue Jeremiah and just talk about doomsday, but I do think there are some really troubling aspects to that constant, um, unrelenting pressure to... Um, yeah, I'll just say it a little bit provocatively to co- to compose yourself in certain ways and then offer yourself to the world. Before, oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Well, I'm, I'm saying you don't necessarily mean uh, composes and restrain yourself, but composes in creating yourself or creating yeah. an identity.
0: Maybe I should use the theological term <laughs> to, cre- to create yourself <laughs> for and you know I'm thinking now of social media because you all were just speaking about it. Um, To create yourself for the consumption of other people.
2: Before we jump to the implications for uh, for today, could you talk a little about the context out of which this was coming? Um, What what were the problems it was responding to back in 1968?
0: Right. Well, I think again you could answer that question both immediately um, and then more broadly. Um, The uh, Certainly, the the encyclical uh, followed upon the work of a a commission uh, originally created by um, John XXIII prior to Paul VI. Um, And the commission was clear that part of what it wanted to examine was the question of what was a new technology at that moment, artificial contraception, and to try to render some judgment. Um, Part of what made the encyclical so controversial was that the commission, uh, made up of a number of different members, and including some lay members, uh, came to a different conclusion than the encyclical that Paul VI issued. In other words, it was more open to the possibility um, of artificial contraception. So there's that specific question. That's Mm -hmm. why I say controversy from the very moment, in fact, prior to the moment.
1: And can you remind our our audience here, Holly, uh, what decision did Paul VI make after the recommendation was given?
0: Right. So um, his view uh, was, and, and clearly stated in the encyclical, is that it is not possible to uh, licitly use artificial contraception, that what artificial contraception does is to divide mm-hmm. marital intimacy from one of its crucial purposes, which is procreation. Excellent. And that those two uh, would have to remain... Joined classically, the argument goes that um, intimacy in marriage is designed both for uh, greater unity between the two spouses and also for procreation uh, for the, uh, both um, birthing and raising of children, too, that whole, kind of that whole project yeah. uh, of openness to that project of family, um, and that dividing it really distorts the act itself. You know, if I could just say very quickly, when I'm talking to uh, my own students about this, for whom, many of whom, you know, it's, it's a it's a bizarre view. Right. They, they right. obviously have never inhabited a world in which, um, they've always inhabited a world in which artificial contraception was the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a funny analogy that could be made here, just very briefly. Um, the claim of humane Vitae, and then the, the traditional claim of the Church, is that, um, Procreation goes together with intimacy in an analogous way that we, perhaps we could say nutrition and eating. Okay. So if you want to go on a diet, um, if we were going to follow the analogous reasoning, it would be you have to eat in ways that support that goal, um, but you shouldn't attach some weird machine to your body that grabs the food and empties it out of your stomach. I see. Uh, so you need to work with the, the human body in pursuing that goal of, um, as m- many of us are trying to do, lose a little weight. <laughs> <laughs> I th- and, and, anyway, I just say that to say I think there's something there. It's not a perfect analogy by any stretch, but it's something that can kind of make sense to
2: people. Y- you mentioned that the most controversial part of this was the stance on birth control, um, but you don't really focus too much on that in your piece. You look kind of more broadly about what the implications of that are, um, and you talk about the myth of the self-made man. What what does what does Humana Vitae tell us about this this myth of self-creation that seems so common, not even like in terms of economics, we talk about people pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, or you you talk about even in autobiography this idea that we create this ideal um, image of ourselves as traveling and interesting Uh, why do you want to push back against that myth
0: right exactly I think um, it's in part you know I I, I mentioned in the piece that I do intentionally refer to gender there Um, my own experience as a a woman is that um, the myth um, doesn't seem to work as well in practical day-to-day life for women as it does for men Um, and it and it partly comes out of um, my work in theology, but it partly comes out of my own life and experience, that um, it's just very clear to me that uh, I am, in fact, not self-made uh, in a million different ways, mm-hmm. and that I need ways to think about that. I need ways to expand my own imagination and equip myself for other narratives, for other what, – what, for me, are more fruitful and life-giving ways to think about what I'm up to. And I, in a certain sense, I would say I think that's the, um, the gift that Humane Vitae gives. It prompts us to, stay, to, to to interrogate that, to question that claim a little bit, that the truest and noblest and most real uh, of everything is that which we produce ourselves. Um, and, you know, I mentioned a couple different um, resources that I myself have found to be helpful in this regard. Um, as a student of literature in my undergraduate days, I really loved the work of author Charles Williams. Um, he has this very interesting phrase of preferring the given. I think it's possible to misunderstand that phrase as just uh, giving in, to accepting whatever uh, comes your way. I don't think that's what he meant by that. But it does push back and say, um, we don't start with a blank slate. Um, we start in this profoundly communally rooted reality, and then, then in that, you know, the the world of that given. Or again, if you are going to say it more theologically, we might say in the reality of the createdness that we already live in. Then we take steps to um, to look carefully to restore what needs to be restored to um, remove what needs to be removed in a way what I'm saying is very simple um, but like I said my sense is that in several different uh, venues so widely uh, differing sometimes cultural venues we have to remind ourselves to think in that way and to and to, and to feel good about that to recognize that um, that's a, a good way forward
2: what, what would you say are the dangers of buying into the myth of a self-made man who, who gets hurt or left behind in that narrative.
0: Right, exactly. So I think two groups, um, other people and us. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: sort of uh, that seems to include everybody.
0: You know, in a sense, I think it's um, the, the person that maybe fully buys into that myth in, a, in the most extreme way uh, falls into the pathology of narcissism. Um, a, you know, and that is a person who can um, do a great deal of damage to the people around them, especially, um, I'm going to go back to a, a favorite theme of uh, Pope Francis, the theme of mercy. Mm-hmm. I think it's very difficult to be a merciful person when you imagine that you are a person who has operated without the benefit of mercy.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh Instead of saying, I've made it, why can't everyone else? Exactly.
0: Exactly. But then I'll just say briefly, I think also the more that we um, live in a castle of our own making, um, the more that we become um, lonely and isolated and so on. In fact, uh, as I said, I think many, many different cultural dynamics could be connected to this topic. And in the end, I, don't, I didn't mention in the essay row, but in the end, I think there are important connections to um, the opioid crisis that we see now. What we see is people who are lonely and sad and in pain. And I think, it's, obviously, it's a very big um, issue to discuss, but I think there are ways in which this myth, the self-made person, leaves people yeah not merciful to themselves either in a certain way mm-hmm. is
1: it almost like people feel shameful that they have uh interdependence with other people and it's almost like uh, instead of celebrating that we have these connections it's almost like uh, they're made to feel less successful because uh they do. They show mercy to other people. They put other people's needs, uh, not necessarily first, but they take them into account. Is
0: that P- precisely? Part of I this? would say both. You know the way that we feel about it. Um, so I could even, you I know, mean, I've referred briefly to my own experience. I would, I would, wouldn't mind saying, for myself, as a woman doing the work of theology, for example, I've become aware that I often work best in situations of conversation and dialogue and intentionally and explicitly communal scenarios, even though that is not always the norm. So there are two dangers for me. One would be to um, feel bad about myself because I'm not doing it in this thoroughly isolated, self-made way that I'm supposed to do it. Um, But then also beyond the way I feel about it is the way that I act and all of us act. You know, we don't tend to um, foster the habits that go in a different direction.
1: Yeah, you you do such a good job. I really enjoyed this piece a lot, Holly. I just want to say to you, and the uh, you're totally welcome. And one of the like this dialectic or this you know dyad that you're drawing, I feel like we have all of these words that kind of go. You're either one thing or another thing. So, for example, you know, control is right at the heart of that. You're either control in control or you're being controlled, or you're the actor. Or you're passive and you're being and you're being manipulated by someone else. And it seems like we've constructed this kind of self understanding of a community and of ourselves as individuals where there's no middle ground to be had there. And then you give us that really interesting phrase, you know, that we talk about preferring the given, or that you also quote, Of course I'm gonna love any article where you quote J.R.R. Tolkien in it, this <laughs> idea of sub creation. Not original creation, subcreation. Anything that right. you'd want to say about where this points us, what kind of, what kind of person are we becoming?
0: Right. I think you have really put your finger on something very important there in the um the drive for a kind of sharp dichotomy. Um and it is exactly you know against that w- against which that I'm trying to press a little bit. Mm. Um so for me, for example, you know, we could get very philosophical but um I think of categories like um Conversation, I actually think, is a deeply rich category. Friendship, uh, uh-huh. mutuality, interconnection. And then um, I, the, the word that's coming to mind that I think of as a more philosophical term was participation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not always um, a matter of competition, a matter of um, a zero-sum game. Where somebody wins, so there are other ways to conceptualize what we're up to here. And of course, subcreation inherently does that. It says, "I'm swimming in a world that is given to me in a certain way. I'm swimming in what is already gift." Now, what do I do going yeah.
1: forward? One of the like, and you talk about this idea of participation or of collaboration or of conversation, and you give this beautiful example at the end of your piece. Um, and I was thinking, in, in addition to those examples, I was thinking of motherhood. You know, or uh, or pregnancy, or something where you know, literally my own life. You know, immersed in the body of my mother, that we're not. I'm obviously not self-sufficient in this. You give this great example of um, Saint Augustine of Hippo and his mother, an experience that they share. Can you say something real brief about that? We only have about 90 seconds left to talk, but I wanted to be sure to point this out
0: right. So I just cite briefly a crucial passage in Augustine's Confessions. He describes a, a certain kind of vision. It's a little mysterious, but and something that what he and his mother share. Yeah. It's not an individual vision. That's right. And um, it's a little hard to make out, but it, it ends in a kind of way that they are able to hear something that is not usually audible. And this is what they hear as they listen to all things created they begin to hear those things saying we have not made ourselves and i would agree with you i think there's nothing accidental there about that um crucial intimate relationship between a a mother and a son and i think that really signals for us much broader realities we are related to one another whether we recognize it or not um and that when we do recognize it we're able to go forward better.
1: Well, Holly, this has been a really fantastic conversation. I wish we had more time to visit with you, but this has been really wonderful. Thank you for joining us here.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Holly Taylor-Kuhlman, who just joined us, is an assistant professor of theology at Providence College in Rhode Island. Her piece uh, called 50 Years After Humana Vitae, We Still Buy Into the Myth of the Self-Made Man, you can find at americamagazine.org forward slash serious as you can find all the rest of our pieces there today. I really found this conversation fascinating. I, I do too. And I, it has a lot of applications for what we were talking about earlier in terms of uh, political leadership, mm-hmm. which she also gets into in her, start, in her piece. Um, this has been really a fantastic conversation mm-hmm. between the three of us. I'm really pleased to be with you for Ashley McKinless. And on behalf of Robert David Sullivan, my name is Father Patty Gilger. You have been listening to America This Week on Sirius 129, the Catholic channel. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for
0: listening to the podcast of America This Week, courtesy of the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129. If you want to listen to more, subscribe to Sirius XM and tune in on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.